sharing your grace and mercy in our community. But we pray as well that we, each and every one of us, will be filled again afresh this morning. And it will overflow to others. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, just a quick thank you to start with. Um, last week, uh, we prayed for um, my, my eldest son and his wife. Uh, if you remember, we prayed um, that they would have a, a good pregnancy. And uh, Joel also, we also prayed that Joel would get a job. And this week, um, they went and had a scan. And we're having a grandbaby who's a daughter. So we're really excited about that. We don't normally knock out girls. We normally knock out boys. So it's a bit of a rare. So it be a special baby. Not that Joel and Levi aren't special, but it'd be a special baby. And also, we will. Um, also, the great thing is this week, uh, Joel got an unexpected phone call. He got a job as well. So we really appreciate you guys for praying. Thank you so much. Uh, our youngest son, and uh, who lives in uh, Germany, and uh, his girlfriend from a different part of Germany, they're at a church today uh, that they served at because they met on pays. Um, so the interesting thing about that is that I knew about Lois. Um, the minute Levi, my other son, knew about Lois, where with Joel and Lexi, it was really different. Um, so with Joel and Lexi, Joel's always told me he's not that interested in girls. And um, uh, so I always thought that. And then um, one day, uh, uh, something interesting happened, uh, which was that he went uh, off to work in California. And then after a couple of years, he decided to come back from California. And uh, I bumped into a friend of a friend in Starbucks, and I said, oh, my, my son's coming back from California. And she said to me, oh, yeah, because of his girlfriend. And I said, no, he doesn't have a girlfriend. And she went, oh, yeah, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but it was a bit odd, you know? So he came back, and uh, he was a little bit back for, for a few weeks. And then we went to California. And while we were in California, he had a car accident. And when we said to him, are you okay? Was it your fault? He said, it's not my fault. And there was somebody in the car with me, and she's going to testify that it wasn't my fault. And our answer, our question was not, are you okay? Our question was, who's she? And he said to us, oh, no, but it's just a friend. Anyway, a few weeks later, uh, he called me into his room. He said, Dad, I've got a confession to make. You may have guessed, but I do have a girlfriend. So I said, oh, that's great. That's a good son. Does she love Jesus? Yes, yes, she does love Jesus. What does she look like? Show me a picture of Lexi. First time I saw her. Oh, she's very pretty. That's great. That's wonderful. Bring her over tomorrow night. So he brought her over the next night. And then the night after that, we took them out to P.F. Chang's, because we're posh, uh, for a meal. And um, he made a rookie mistake. And his rookie mistake was he went to the restroom and left her with us. <laughs> so our head swiveled to Lexi. And we said, Lexi, one question we have how long you've been, have you been dating? And she said, officially or unofficially. And I knew at that moment, this is gonna be bad. So I said, let's just stop the bleeding, just officially. How long have you officially been dating? She went, oh, officially, three years. <laughs> That's how bad a parent Lynn's mother is. Three years. And then I got home. And when I got home, there was a, she befriended me on Instagram. So suddenly on Instagram, I've got an, in, an entirely different like alternative lifetime of my son. So there they are kind of celebrating their first and second anniversaries. There they are on the Golden Grates. There they are on a camel in Egypt. Now, that last one isn't true, but I thought it's, it's, that's the way it's going, you know. And it was really, really bad. So, um, so he hid him. I don't know why, why would my son hide a girlfriend from me? It's clearly Lynn's fault, obviously, um, I'm sure. Anyway, but we finally found out. So it's kind of a weird journey for us. So one minute he has a girlfriend, the next minute they're engaged, and then we suddenly have a grandbaby on the way. So we're really excited. And, uh, 
And uh, she's a wonderful partner to um, Joel, so we're excited. And today, we want to talk about partnerships. So we've the Pays guys arriving, and it's a little bit different. I think Gabriel said this, Pays is unusual. The team comes and works with the church. So what I want to do this morning is ask the question, how does that work? What does partnership look like from a biblical perspective? Um, and also, what role do we have in partnership? So um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn um, to Ecclesiastes Verse 4. This is the passage that God gave Lynn and I about our marriage. So it's Ecclesiastes, it starts at uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 9, and it says this Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And it says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. The three, uh, number three often in the Bible represents strength. So we have the Trinity, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We think about the way, the truth, and the life, which we just sung about. But also, Jesus has this trifold function. He is our priest, he is a prophet, and he is the king. Now, most of us probably know that. What I've noticed is that most of us don't realize quite often that we also have that function as well. God has called his church, the people of God, to have a priestly, prophetic, and kingly function. Let me just read a, a couple of verses just to highlight this. So um, 1 Peter verse 2, verse 3 says, You also, living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So you have a priestly uh, function. Secondly, prophet... Um, Acts 2 says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That happened at the birth of the church in Acts. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So we are to be prophetic. What does that really mean? Does it mean we're just old and weird and talk about the future? What does it mean to be prophetic? And then thirdly, uh, Ephesians says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. A summary would be this verse. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, so royal kingly priesthood, uh, a holy nation, God's special possession, your God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, which is a prophetic function. So I'm going to ask the question uh, this morning, um, what's your primary function? What's the way that God uses you most? And how can we step up in that area? Because we're to be a partnership. We're not to be independent, we're to be interdependent. So what does that even look like? So are you primarily priestly? Let's just talk about the priests for a minute. The priests were qualified by blood and by study. So they had a lineage and their job was the duties and the traditions and the sacrifices of the people of God. So their job in the nation was to help the people connect with God, to run the church activities, as it were, 
to um, do the sacrifices, to celebrate and remind people of the holidays so that every few weeks and every few months people were reminded about an attribute of God or the Passover, something that God had done for them. And there's this priestly idea. So um, what's interesting about that is that, that we see that in Jesus' life. It says, but when Christ came as high priest, so Christ came as the high priest, we think of uh, people like David. So David wrote songs to help us connect with God. When you think about David's like top 10 hits, most of them aren't instructions. They're giving us words that we probably wouldn't have made up to help us connect with God. So what does a what does a priest what would a priest look like today? What would be an example of that? Well, I had a couple of ideas and thoughts on this. Um, what do priests look like today? They look a bit like David Butler. Do forgive Jay. Um, try and ignore Jay's body. Okay, just concentrate on the left hand side. Uh, David Butler. So uh, I love David. David um, to me has a really giant ginormous priestly function in our church and also in our community. Um, he wrote this on Next Door on June the 23rd, nextdoor.com. He wrote, sitting on my porch, praying for the families of Viridian. If there are any specifics anyone would like me to pray for, please feel free to private message me. I'll be honored. What do priests do? Priests help people connect to God. Here's David baptizing Jay. I love this picture because in 30 years of ministry, I've never seen anybody get baptized with sunglasses on. So he went down, he came out of the water with sunglasses. The only thing that would have been cooler than that was if he didn't have any sunglasses, he went down in the water and came out with sunglasses. That would have been really, really cool. I don't know where Jay is. Jay, you're cool. You're not quite as cool as you need to be. But next time, that would be the thing to do. So, uh, so that's what David does. David comes and he helps us connect with God. If you're doing something that helps others connect with God, you're acting in your priestly function. Um, Ryan did that today. Ryan was leading us. He was helping us connect with God. That's a priestly function. The problem is there is a problem with it. Eventually, if all we have is the priests, it becomes about us. It becomes about us. The law of entropy sets in. If you don't know what the law of entropy is, it means that everything kind of winds down or everything declines in its function. So a battery, you buy a battery, you put it into whatever it is you put it into, and after a while, it loses energy. Unless it's re-energized, it loses energy. Think about your computer. Remember when you first got your latest computer? You unwrapped it, and suddenly everything went really quick and fast, and then three years later, it's all starting to slow down and like you might need another one. So things slow down. And the same with the church. When it's just got the priest, what happens with the church is our function slowly declines. And what is that function? It's to be salt and light in the world. But often it becomes parts of, uh, we just kind of lose that. A couple of signs are we lose our give until all we have left is get. So when we start to lose that, when it declines, it, the church becomes about the place you come to get something. I come to get my latest spiritual pick-me-up. I come to get some worship that's going to encourage me. None of those things are bad, but that's not the primary function. The reality is the church is a place. In fact, everywhere in the Bible, you will find church and people coming to church. It talks about people bringing something. Let me just, for instance, give you an example. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 says this. What then shall we say, um, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn 
or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. The other sign is that we uh, lose um, our passion for others and it becomes about us. Um, so um, right now I, I'm kind of connected to a group of people who are working in Uganda. And uh, what's interesting about Uganda is 60% of the population are evangelical Christians, or at least Bible-believing Christians, 60% of the population. And yet, it's still, as a nation, a developing world. You know, what we might have called a third world country, Uganda. It's a developing world. There's lots of corruption. There's immense poverty. How can that be when more than half the population, including many of its leaders, are Christians? There's a disconnect. Because what happens when we just have the priests is it becomes just about us. Mother Teresa was once asked a question. And they said to her, what is the biggest problem in the world today? And she talked about the church. And she said this. The biggest problem in the world today is that we draw the circle of our family too small. We need to draw it larger every day. And when we lose that fire, it just becomes about our family. We put hedges around it and borders around it, and it becomes we protect. And that's what happens when we lose the fire. What Mother Teresa says correctly is actually the point is to extend that, to reach out, to touch out, to have space for others. So what happens when this happens? Because we need the priests, but then God says, what happens is God sends, I should say, the prophets. And many of us, all of us, have an element of this in us, but maybe not primarily. The difference with the prophets, um, and it talks about Christ in this sense in Matthew 13, and they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Moses was a prophet. Uh, what a prophet does is basically this, is they help God connect with people. They bring God's message. So a prophet isn't somebody who just simply talks about the future. A prophetic ministry is when primarily you're helping God connect and get his message across to people. The qualification for these guys was different. It was passion and their morals. They kind of sprung up from nowhere. The priests, you could see them coming. There was a lineage. With prophets, they kind of sprung up from nowhere. And they were, they were kind of like distinct in their high level of living and their morals and their works. What they did was outstanding. And people just recognized these guys have the hands of, or the hand of God on them. What was their role? Their role wasn't just the jobs of, of the church. Their role was to look out and remind the church about the marginalized. And remind the church about the future. Remind the church about God's big plan. God's big purpose. They would say, hey, we've got to touch the poor. You can't abuse or repress people. Hey, in our case, we, we might say, hey, there are young people outside of the church dying without Christ. And we need to remember them. So that's what the prophets did. And they emphasized not just religion, they emphasized the spirit or the point or the purpose God had behind those things. They lived an extreme and quite often sacrificial life. Ezekiel had a nude protest. Okay, we don't want any of you to move into that gifting, just so you know. Jay was halfway there. Um, some of them... Um, some of them Cooks, uh, I think he cooked, he cooked food over human feces, didn't he? Um, Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute so he would feel what God felt when Israel betrayed him. 
So when he communicated that message, he would communicate with a real understanding of what it felt to be betrayed. Um, not all people who have like a, a prophetic ministry serve God. Sometimes they, they waste it, or maybe waste is the wrong word, but they spend it on other things. So uh, this lady is called Julie, uh, Julia Butterfly. She saved uh, three acres of redwood trees many, many years ago. How did she do that? By living in a tree for 738 days. So she's committed, that committed. I mean, she gave two, over two years of her life away for trees. So people will do, people have this in them. God's put this in them. That desire, that desire to do the right thing, to, to remind the world to step out and do something special. The question is, can we find God's purpose for that in our function? Here's my question. Do prophets still walk amongst us today? Absolutely. When I was thinking about that this week, I thought, who most exhibits this in our city? I thought it's Tilly Bergen. Um, in 2016, she was voted one of the great women of Texas. She kind of sprung, I don't know her story fully, but she kind of sprung up from kind of nowhere. And what she does is she's reminding a mission island to remind the church of the poor. They remind the church of those we should be reaching. Now, sometimes what we do as the church is we just offload onto people like this. Hopefully we don't, hopefully we go and help. And you're going to be hearing, um, Bob's going to be getting up uh, in a few weeks' time, remind us of how we can get involved and help. So sometimes it's not always an individual. Quite often nowadays, a prophetic movement like, I would suggest, Pays and Mission Allenson, if we can put that back up, David, I think something came out. Uh, did you knock out the thing? It's going to be important for a moment, so we'll need to get that up. So what happened, thank you, there we go. So what happens is um, you have these, Organization. So pays, that's what pays does. It's less priestly and more prophetic. And it's important that we understand that. So um, if you're doing something that helps God connect with people, get his message across, then you are operating in your prophetic function. Uh, the problem is that sometimes the prophets could become an end to themselves. Um, I once traveled 5,000 miles to meet someone who does what I do, but in a much bigger way. And what I noticed was about what they were doing, this particular organization, was it, was, it wasn't really f introducing people into the church. It had become an end to itself. And in my conversation with that person to learn what I could learn, I, I don't, I don't kind of like box people in. I think you can learn something from everybody, uh, no matter you know, if they make mistakes or not. So, but one thing that person had to be three times in one hour's conversation was, don't partner with a church, they will control you. That is not the right attitude. Well, that's what the prophetic have. And you see people doing that, separating themselves from the church because they just know what they should do. And in a different way, they become an end to themselves and, and have, even though they wouldn't admit it, a holier-than-now attitude. The reality is there's a symbiotic relationship between the church and the prophetic, the priest and the prophetic. You could say it this way. Priests um, speak to God on behalf of man. And prophets speak to man on behalf of God. So priests speak to God on behalf of man. They come and they intercede like David. David on his porch. You take a prayer request to David and he will speak to God on behalf of you. That's a priestly function. Someone else might bring God's word, even if nobody else likes it and nobody else agrees with it, because their primary function is not uh, to poll or to do a focus group, their primary function is, what are you saying, God, and how do I communicate it, whether it's popular or not? Um, but we need to understand there's a balance. Uh, many, many years ago, I was actually given a prophetic word, and somebody said to me, Paul, this was when I was very young, 
um, 10 years ago. And uh, somebody said to me, hey, Paul, one day you're going to have a ministry and you're going to be like a washing line, which is a bit of a weird thing for somebody to say to you. So you're going to be like a washing line in the sense that a washing line, uh, when it's only attached to one pole, is useless. It has no function. It can't function properly. It has to be stretched between two poles. And you'll have a ministry that will be stretched. There'll be tension between two things. So I've always had my feet firmly planted in the church or a church, but also being involved in a missions organization. So all of us have this blend. Now, for some of us, we're thinking, yeah, there's an element of that where I help people in a priestly faction. There's an element of that where I do that uh, in a prophetic way, but there's something missing. Well, maybe it's this. Maybe you have a primarily kingly function. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, are you the king of the Jews. And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. So Moses is a great example of a prophet. And David is a great example of somebody who operates in a priestly function. Uh, I can never say the name right, but Artaxerxes is a great example of a king. Because what kings do is they resource the priests and the prophets. And they bring governments and they bring structure. Maybe you're someone like that. When you're doing something to resource Others, you're acting in a kingly function. You could say that would be true of Howard and of Tom and of Andre even today. They come early. They set out the chairs. I mean, a lot of us think, oh, 9.30 is early for church. Some of these guys are here at like half sevens and eight o'clock. They're putting up flags. They're setting out tables. They're setting out stages. They're getting things ready for us. Kerry setting out the coffee and Lynn. That's, in that sense, they're resourcing others and that's important for us so um do kings have a part to play today so this is um uh, the guy on the left is a guy called simon and he's shaking hands with the ambassador uh, to the uk of uganda this is a ugandan uh, politician and ambassador and they just signed or they were about to agree to sign to an agreement um, to help pays start in uganda so we need people like this maybe you're someone like this maybe you open doors for people. Maybe you help people make connections. That's what often God used the kings to do, to bring government, but also to bring empowerment. Um, they were appointed uh, to do that and to bring empowerment. Also, you could say our hosts operate like this. So we have hosts. Ryan did a great job of mentioning uh, Bob and, and Howard, but we have others of you. Put your hand up if you've hosted a pays person. Uh, thank you, Sonia. And there's some others of you here who I know have done that a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, God. Um, so you're operating in that role, and it's a wonderful thing. So my question this morning as we, we finish is this. What's your primary function, and how can you step out further? What's your primary function, and how you can step out further? When I was at school, we would have um, assemblies, and um, every week there would be a school assembly, and somebody would say something, I can't remember any of it at all. I can't remember a single thing that anybody said apart from one story, which I'm going to share with you. I don't know if I've ever shared that before, this story before. And it was a story of three homeless men. And the three homeless men would meet every night to tell their stories and how their day had been. And occasionally, one of them would have something to eat and say, oh, I had this to eat today. This particular day, they had an amazing day, and they all got together, and it was amazing. One of them said, you won't believe it, I've been given this huge potato. I'm going to eat this potato tonight. I'm going to, it's been fantastic. The second one said, ah, I was given this gigantic carrot. I'm going to chew on this carrot. It'd be great. I'm going to eat this carrot. 
The third one said, I've been given some meat. I've been given some, some steak. And they were like, oh, I don't know, this has been amazing how God's blessed us. This is wonderful. And then one of them thought, hey, we could have a stew. We could have a stew. We could, have a f- we could eat like kings today. So they decided the Latin night, they would get the fire out. They would get a big pot and put some water on. They'd put the potato in, put the carrot in, chop it up, put the steak in, and create a stew. So that night came, and it got really dark, and they had a fire. It was very, very dark. There was no moon out, no stars out, very cloudy. And they started to pass the pot around. And the guy with the potato thought, I wonder if anybody noticed if I don't put my potato in. So he held it back, and the pot went round. And the guy with the carrot thought, nobody noticed if I don't put my carrot in. We don't normally eat like this anyway. And he held his carrot back. And the guy with the meat thought, you know what? This meat's good. I'm going to keep hold of this. Nobody needs this. Nobody noticed. So all they did was boil water. And so the story goes is that when they all took a sip, when they all got their, their uh, s- uh, spoon in and they sipped it, they all realized it was just water. But no one said anything because they'd have to admit what they'd not done. And so for the night, they drank water and talked about how great the stew was. Sometimes that can be like church. We know something's missing, but we don't want to say anything because we know we're not playing our part. At Saints, we don't want to be like that, do we? At Saints, we all want to bring what it is that we can. Some of us are hosting. Some of us are providing resources of different kinds. Some of us are helping people connect with God like David. Some of us are helping God connect with people like our teachers that come and teach. So in a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing one last song. But uh, the way we're going to do it is uh, Ryan's going to come up. And if you can come up right now, Ryan, that would be wonderful. I appreciate that. And as Ryan's going to come up, he's going to play. And uh, in a few moments, you're going to get to meet everybody. And we're going to have something to eat, which will be absolutely wonderful. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. I may have asked you this question before. But um, we were once given a picture, like literally a physical picture. I was once given a picture many, many years ago, maybe 20 years ago on Pays. And it's a famous picture. I'm going to show you the picture. Uh, and it's a picture of, you know the skyscraper in Chicago? I think it was or New York, where, where all the workers are sat very high up on a, on, a, on a girder. Have you seen that? And they're all having their sandwiches. But a bit scary to look at. And this person said to me, that's what a lot of the pays leaders are like. They're living at this high level of faith, but they're doing something quite natural. They're just eating their sandwiches. So I have a question this, this morning, just as, as Ryan plays, and it's this. What can you give to such a level of faith it would inspire others? What can you give to such a level of faith it would inspire others? I'm going to ask Ryan just to sing uh, this song softly to us if that's okay. He can serenade us, Ryan. And as Ryan serenades us, I just want you to think about that question and ponder that picture. And then in a couple of minutes we're going to stand and we're going to sing.